So we've been looking at the intervals present in the natural harmonic overtone series, a sentence that might have sounded very complicated an hour ago, but now we know it means the relationships that occur between the fundamental frequency and the notes in its overtones. But of course, intervals also occur between the overtones themselves. Of course, there is an interval between the second and third, third and fourth, fourth and fifth, etc. overtones. And also between the second and fourth, second and fifth, third and fifth overtones, for example. A single note is absolutely full to the brim of intervals for us to explore. And we've already seen how the minor third, which makes the minor chord, is present between our fourth and fifth overtones. So looking at an A fundamental note vibrating at 110 hertz, 110 times a second, that would be between the C sharp at 550 hertz and the E at 660 hertz. Between those two notes, we have a minor third, which is what makes the minor modification of the major chord sound so natural albeit somewhat contrived. So A major, A minor. So let's go up the overtone series again, but now we can focus on the intervals that occur between overtones and see what we find. Let's work with C now. So we can start with a C at 130 hertz. It's really 130.81, but that doesn't matter. We'll make the same point simplifying this to 130. So we know our first overtone of a C at 130 hertz will be what note? The first overtone, mm. a C. Another C. At how many hertz? Uh, 260. 260. What note will our second overtone be? C. Is it? What is so our second, second overtone? Overtones. All right, so you're doing a, another 130. Uh, so you're saying it's 260, so it'll be a 390. But not the number, the note. So we know that our second overtone always gives us what interval? The first one the gives fifth. us the perfect fifth. Good. So what note is our second overtone? G. Bravo, a G. So G is the perfect fifth of C, and we know our second overtone gives us the perfect fifth. How many hertz does this G vibrate at? 390. 390, good. Or 392, we might remember from doubling the violin string, but as we rounded down 130.8, we've gotten 390 here. Good, so the G of the second overtone is an octave and a half from the fundamental C and half an octave, or in other words, a perfect fifth, from the C of our first overtone. So between the first overtone and the second, we have a perfect fifth. What is our third overtone of C at 130 hertz? A C. Another C, good. At how many hertz? Oof, 510? 520. 520, roughly, no? So from G to C, we find a new interval. This isn't C to G anymore, the perfect fifth. This is G to C. So how many letters do we have counting from G to C, including G? Four. Four. So we know we have a fourth. 
Now, if we compare the quality of this sound to the qualities we have met so far, minor, major, perfect, and diminished, you can tell me the complete name of this interval. So we know it's a fourth. Let's compare it to a major sensation. Do you think it's major? This is minor. That's our fourth again. Now let's compare it to the perfect fifth. Let's compare it to diminished fifth. What quality did that sound more similar to? That sounds strong. Okay, so we have two that sound quite strong now. We have the, the perfect interval. That's a perfect fifth. And then this is a major third. What did that sound more like? So what do, what fourth do you think this is? Perfect fourth. A perfect fourth. Very similar to the perfect fifth in in terms of the quality of the interval now. So let's let's listen to that again. So that's A to E for example. A to E and here's E to A. The notes can blend together as one as they can in the perfect fifth. Perfect fifth, perfect fourth. Doing that with C and G, we have perfect fifth, perfect fourth. So the next interval that occurs between our overtones is a perfect fourth. So those are our three perfect intervals, the perfect octave, which occurs between the fundamental note we are playing and its first overtone, the perfect fifth between the first two overtones, and the perfect fourth between the second and third overtones. There are no more perfect intervals in music, just these three. These three intervals, which are the same ones we perceive within the first overtones of any note. So we've seen how we get a diminished interval by lowering the perfect interval a half step. So how many diminished intervals are there in music? Four. Three, sorry. <laughs> three. We also have three diminished intervals. So we've seen the diminished fifth so far. Here's one of those. What are the other two called? What are our other two diminished intervals called? So you've got the diminished fifth, mm. diminished third, is it? We have three diminished intervals because we have three perfect intervals. So there is no diminished third. What is the major third when you lower it a half tone? What's that called? Minor. Minor third. So diminished isn't used there. The diminished chord is a shortened perfect chord. So we have a perfect fifth and a diminished fifth. We have a perfect fourth and a diminished fourth. And we have a perfect octave. So a diminished octave. Yeah. 
So those are our three diminished intervals, diminished fourth, diminished fifth, and diminished octave. So the perfect fourth is the perfect fifth played in reverse, in mirror image, instead of A to E, giving us the perfect fifth, E to A gives us the perfect fourth. Instead of C to G, giving us the perfect fifth, G to C gives us the perfect fourth. If I play this C, and then this C, an octave higher, we have an octave. And if I play this C again, and then the next C up, we still have an octave. This relationship is symmetrical. In contrast, if I play this C and this G, I have a perfect fifth. But if I play this G and then the following C, I now have a perfect fourth. The perfect fifth was not a symmetrical or reversible relationship like the octave, but that said, the special perfect fifth still retains something of symmetry, of reversibility. The interval played either way round is perfect. That might seem like a small detail, but of course there are only three perfect intervals in music, and other non-perfect intervals do not retain their quality when reversed in this way. So C and G and A and E, or rather the fundamental and the perfect fifth, are not the same note, and so the relationships are not the same way either way around. But these notes are so intimately related that their relationship does maintain its perfection, whether we go from A to E or E to A, C to G or G to C. The note pairs maintain their perfection, their bifaction, either way around. The perfect fifth falls in the middle of the octave in the overtones. So that fact of the perfect fifth falling between and creating relationships from and to the notes generating that octave is what makes those intervals so perfect. This is a factual event in the immediate, the first three, overtones. But if the perfect fifth falls in the middle of the octave, how can it be that going one way we get a perfect fifth and going the other a perfect fourth? This is best understood with the use of ratios. So ratio means ration, portion. So when we talk about ratio, we are looking at the relationship between two numbers in terms of equal portions. And this allows us to kind of boil down the relationship to the smallest whole numbers we can. So if we look at the relationship of 10 and 5 in this way, we can say 2 to 1. 10 is 2 fives and 5 is 1 five. 5 is the simplest portion we can work with looking at 10 and 5. We have two portions and then one portion in the numbers 10 and 5. So that relationship is 2 to 1 in ratios. So in ratios, we find the simplest way to divide two numbers, two different numbers into equal parts. So what is the ratio of the octave? if the relationship of 10 and 5 is 2 to 1? 8 to 1. Hmm. 7 to 1. What's going on between 10 and 5? It's double. And what goes on in the octave? Okay, it's double. So if 10 and 5 gives us a ratio of 2 to 1, what is the ratio of the octave? 2 to 1. 2 to 1. So two parts to one part, two portions to one portion, doubling or halving. So this describes the relationship between 110 and 220, 
or 130 and 260 in the same way that it does between 5 and 10. Two parts to one part. The simplest way to talk about all of these numbers in terms of equal parts, 2 to 1. The ratio of the perfect fifth is, well, let's, let's work it out. So if we have a C at 130 hertz, how many hertz is its perfect fifth? Now, there's a number of ways you could work that out. So I'm just going to kind of leave you to it. So if the C is 130 hertz, how many hertz is its perfect fifth? 205. Oh, okay. I see what you did, but you just made a little mistake. You did the right maths. You just wanted 195. Oh, okay. Yeah. 195. And how did you work that out? Right. It was 130. So you want one and a half of 130. Uh, 65. Great. Except I added it up wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, 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 the idea was right. Yeah. So that's that was the point. So, you know, there was a number of ways you could have done that. You could have doubled 130, uh, 260 and found the number in between. You could have times 130 by 1.5, which is what you kind of did. <laughs> you, could you could have found the second harmonic and scaled it down an octave. So 390 halved. If we understand music, there's often no right or wrong way to do this, just a more or less comfortable way in any given context. So 130 and 195 give us C and a G, a perfect fifth. 65 is our simplest portion or ration, no, because it goes into 130 twice and into 195 three times. So our ratio is three to two. Our ratio of the perfect fifth is three to two. This ratio is also known as the golden ratio and is present in nature and art in all kinds of ways from the way flower petals or seeds organize themselves to like the spiral of certain seashells. The same force that makes the perfect fifth occur in a reverberating object's overtones seems to be the very same one that makes things grow and develop in the way they do. Again, we can begin to understand or only begin to understand everything we are actually experiencing when we experience music. So a perfect fifth is three parts to two parts, and the ratio of the perfect fourth is four to three. If we put these ratios next to each other, two to one, the octave, three to two, the perfect fifth, four to three, the perfect fourth, we might notice a pattern, or in other words, how would you describe what is happening here? Two to one, three to two, Four to three. It's going up by one at each number. We're just going up by one now as we continue. We're just counting. What is the fourth overtone of a C at 130 hertz? So 130 times five. 680. I would 650. Times, uh, yeah, I would times it by 10 and a half it, right? Which is what you did there, maybe? No, I'll separate and I'll do like 500 and then, ah, and then 530s. 530s. Okay, that's cool too. All right, so 650. But because we know we started with 130.8, in reality, it's more like 660. Do you remember what note that is? 660? Ring any bells? Is it an A? Close, close. <laughs> oh, B. In an music, e. an E. It's an E. Um, what was 220? An A. But right, exactly. Yeah. Timesing two hundred twenty by three does not give us the same note. Yeah, by, by two or does. by four, exactly. Yeah. All right, good. So it's good to get in these kind of <laughs> ties if we can weave ourselves out of them, because when we do, we just get surer and surer of what we know 
this structure, this mathematical structure this is built around. So cool, um, that gives us an E. And what interval do we have between C and E? You can tell me the first part of the interval, the part relating to number. So count from C to E. Ah, uh, that's three, so it's a third. Good, it's a third. Now let me play it for you, so you can tell me which type of third we have. Is that a major third or a minor third? Do it again. Major. Sol major, sol sol major. If we compare it to the minor. So yes, that's a major third. That's a strong, sturdy and secure sounding interval. So we have found the major third between our overtones themselves, between our third and fourth overtones. What's the ratio of this interval? If, as we go up the overtone series, we have noticed this pattern, two to one, three to two, four to three, our major third is? Five to four. Five to four. So that's another way of thinking about intervals. A major third is five parts versus four parts, five to four. And we've already seen how the next interval we find between the fourth and fifth overtones is the minor third, the interval which gives us our minor chord. What is the ratio of the minor third if the ratio of the major third is five to four? And this is the next interval we find in the overtone series. Six to five. Six to five. Now, in the same way that we have literally just counted to find that ratio pattern, all the complicated or maybe not so complicated maths we are looking at is literally just counting. Let me explain. If we go back to our wonderfully simple A at 110 hertz and think about the overtones, 110, 220, 330, 440, 550, 660, it's easy to see that the relationships between these numbers are the same as the relationships that occur between the numbers we use when we count. Of course, if we divide 110, 220, 330, etc. by 110, we get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. When we count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, etc., the relationship each of those numbers have to one another and to the number that birthed them, number 1, is the exact same relationships we find in the Orbiton series. 220 is twice 110, as 2 is twice 1. 3 is 3 times 1, as 330 is 3 times 110. You can double 1 twice to get 4. 1, 2, 4, as you can double 110 twice to get 440. 110, 220, 440. The overtones in the harmonic overtone series are literally just counting, or rather what happens in the overtone series is just like counting. It's like one me, two me's, three me's, 110, 220, 330. Is this a clue to the nature of our existence and the universe? Did, did the universe just learn to count? Is everything we see a result of that elementary stride in the fabled universal consciousness which many argue is what we have come to call God. Did God then just learn to count? And from that, everything we see, touch, smell and experience could be conjured. After all, what is counting but the manifestation of space and time? Each additional count requires time and space to be separated from the last. 
And what was the supposed Big Bang but the beginning of space and time? Is this why our universe is seemingly expanding? Has it not stopped counting? Is just the very idea of counting tantamount to the idea of space and time? Is the universe or our universe founded on counting in a comparable way to how everything that we experience through our screens comes to us through binary code, a super fast series of zeros and ones? Or is our universe simply a better computer than the ones we humans have come to build living within the computer we call the universe? We may never know, but meanwhile, there's music. <laughs>